Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Everybody, we're back for another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. I'm Tom. How are my geriatric millennials doing today? Doing good. How are you doing, baby man? Little generation. Well, I don't even know what you are. So what is Anthony? Is he is he a millennial? I don't know what Anthony is either. I wish he would answer for himself. I'm a millennial. You are a millennial also. You're just not a geriatric millennial. Correct. Well, you're really missing out. That's all I could say. Well, we're looking at, if we're looking at geriatric behaviors, I'm just throwing this out there. Which one of us has have more incontinence issues in our pants? Oh my God. I'm just asking. (laughs) I don't have incontinence issues with my pants. I've I've never forgotten where I lived and wandered into somebody else's (laughs) apartment and called it my own. I'm just saying, if we're looking at Patterns of behavior that could be related to geriatric uh, diseases. I don't think man, that. Man, that a guy means. gets dr- drunk one time and never looks it down. <laughs> In fairness, I did feel like a geriatric this past weekend. It was the most physical activity, like walking around I've done since pre-COVID with April in the city. And we walked like 20 miles over the course of two days. And I felt like an old man. My feet were sore. I kept having to sit down. Like it was awful. awful. That trip looked like a lot of fun. Like a lot of the pictures you posted and ones that she posted, like you did all the fun things. Did you get any shoes like her? I did not get any shoes. That's Saks Fifth Avenue. I'm not bougie. On Fifth Avenue. But, you but it fun. was a fun trip. It was nice. It was very nice. Did she show you anything you'd never seen in the city before? She would argue that she did. I will say that I let her as a tourist, you know, go, you know, guide me around. Right. I did pick up both of y'all's first Christmas presents, though, for the city this year. Oh, that's exciting. So you two have officially become my first Christmas gifts purchased in 2021. Oh, man, that makes me feel special. We did visit the Strand Bookstore, which is awesome. Yeah, I saw a picture of that. It's how big? 28 miles of books. Like, that's my books if they laid them out. Like, right. That's amazing. And they have really rare first editions and old texts. Like, they had first edition, like Emily Dickinson and Charlotte Bronte and stuff. Like, and that's like, you got us for Christmas. Oh, yeah. You know it. It's like the, (laughs) it's like the restricted section, though. Like, you can't, like, you know, yeah. Don't breathe. um, Booties on your your shoes. Probably look at you and decide if you're too poor to go in. I'm assuming. But it's awesome. They had an awesome t-shirt that said reading turns muggles into wizards, which I loved. Oh, I I love that. I was wearing it earlier today. Yeah, I got it at Magic City. I was wearing it earlier today. Oh man. 
think it was booked. The Strand, the Strand has a Christmas connection too, because that's where that Netflix show, Dash and Lily, is largely set. Their romance starts in the Strand. Uh, I forgot about that show. I never got around to watching that one. Good. I read the books afterwards. Like there are three books. I assume there will be two more seasons. Interesting. I would ask you how they were, but yeah, we'll cover it eventually. I mean, they're YA books, so. Yeah, I've nothing wrong with no, that. There's unfortunately YA, but YA literature has been the most uh, revolutionary, the most that's for sure experimental in recent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to hang out with my mama. How was how that? was that? It was awesome, y'all. Uh, we got What'd to show Ellie a Hobbit house. We got her a playhouse that looks like a Hobbit home. How do we not have pictures of that? Instead, we got We're a picture of her stuffed animal's butthole. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? There's nowhere in the reviews about that either. Hold on, I'll show you what her thing looks like. I don't have a picture of it. We're waiting on the grass, but let's see. On Saturday wait, wait, morning, can what? we can we address the stuffed animal? Uh, I'll, I'll get there when I get. I, I have some more to tell. Okay, okay. I just wasn't sure. Saturday morning, walked outside to a dead baby possum in my pool. Oh, that's Ellie, so sad. Got it out. Um, it was really gross. My trash can stinks now. So got that taken care of. Christine and I went to pick up a rain barrel that we're putting in for a garden. Got home. Christine gets out of her dad's truck and jumps back in. And she's like, there's something moving. So I immediately think, like, we have a we have some mulch in our driveway. And I immediately think there's a snake in there. I go over and, nope, five baby bunnies that were not there when we left. They were, as we learned from the camera, less than an hour old. And they were rolling <gasps> onto the hot concrete. One of them was having a very labored breathing. So oh. we, we safely picked them up and uh, knowing they would not make it where they were until mama came back, because I don't know if y'all know this, but after a female rabbit gives birth, she only comes back to see her young about once a day. Wow. So we uh, packed them up and took them to a, a vet. Bailey, you're who, telling me that's not how human beings treat their young? <laughs> uh, some do, but I think they generally uh, get, hopefully get Okay. I'll make that note for when I have children. Good to know. <laughs> And so we dropped them off and they got taken away by a wildlife rescue and all five of them survived the night. And that's as much as we know. So that was fun. And then Ellie wow. got really excited. She saw this pug boy that she wanted to buy on Amazon. Uh, she still has her catalog from Amazon Christmas that they all mail, that they mail to all the houses of people with kids, apparently. Yeah. She still has that. And so when she gets her allowance, she'll, when she has enough in her allowance, she'll tell us which, which toy she wants. We went to buy this pug and they didn't have it. So she and Christine shopped and Ellie has decided she is a canine midwife and is pretending all dogs are giving birth all the time. So she found one that had four baby puppies in it in the zipper. All the Amazon reviews look nice and normal. Uh, I think it's weird. I'm disgusted by all things that have to do with birth, including the idea of playing birth with stuffed animals. But you get them and they have stone anuses on all of them so of course i texted uh anthony and julia a picture we go and read there are all of these reviews on amazon about these uh these these dogs not a single one mentions the uh the, the little <laughs> hidden surprise in the back so. <laughs> so so what was ellie's reaction when she saw it uh, you know perfectly it's just normal kids don't kids don't see any difference here is her real dogs have them these have them it's fine you know did you oh, write your review that. yet, Tom? No, I haven't had a chance. I've been, I was with my mom all weekend. And when you write your review, you must share it on the show because I'm sure it'll be a work of art. Uh, that's why I want to, I want to do it right, y'all. It's going to take some time. 
you'll be a hero for being the first one to mention that they all have tiny little anuses. I feel like it's needed. So, <laughs> Julia, here we go. Yes, I'm looking for it. You don't have to send. Here you it go. In. No, no, I want, I want, I want Anthony to get to see it again. So, normal enough looking dog. Turn it around. Bam. <laughs> But why? Why? At least she looks so happy. No, there she's like, why is this here? Like, she's like, why do you, or she, her thing was, Daddy, why do you want a picture of that? <laughs> I'm also asking this question. <laughs> I wanted a picture of that for y'all. Y'all needed to see it. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Julia, how was your week? Well, no, first, before we get to that, Tom, how, what else did you do with your mother? How, what else, how did that weekend wrap up with her? It was just great. We had fun. We, we gardened. We, we showed her the Mitchells versus the machines and uh, it was a good weekend oh, in general. What, was it hard to say goodbye to her again? It was. Ellie had a really hard time. Oh. But bright side, you'll pray it won't be nearly as long before you see her again. Julia, how was your weekend? Well, you mentioned Mitchell's versus machines. Oh man, that is a good movie. Like so good. That was our movie night movie on Saturday night because our movie night movie on Friday night was Mighty Ducks <laughs> that I watched the original? Really with just, yeah, the original that I watched with Marty and I think Ethan, nobody else. Hannah was working and Gabe was just not in a movie mood or whatever, but um, so we had a really good weekend of movies, but that Mitchell's movie is so good. Really, really, really good. Super impressed by that. Uh, it was dog, pig, loaf of bread. Oh my gosh. So good. It's so good. It's so um, good. you know, the guy that has the, that, um, wrote it, directed it, whatever is gravity false. There's no mm -hmm, wonder it it's is. so stinking funny. And, uh, spider verse. That's right. Oh, you said spider verse. When yep. we were chatting about it. Yep. That's right. It's so good. I can't recommend it enough if you're looking for a family movie. Same. Same. So we had a pretty chill weekend where we did that and we worked outside a little bit, which was good. And um, just settling back into a normal work routine, which is just delightful. I worried for it. refuse to go back to normal work. I mean, hours. Oh. I mean, normal okay. work hours for she me. She was working Salesforce hours, right? Salesforce. Right, right, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I will be returning to normal work, per se, as in in the office when I get back from my Disney vacation. Because green is go in Tulsa. I did take I that picture of the Salesforce tower just for you, Julia. I appreciate that. They have one in Probably mostly too? empty Salesforce tower. Yeah. They have one in Austin or Dallas. I don't remember which one. They have one in Texas, too. Anthony, have you seen Mitchell's Machines yet? I did. What did you think? It was good. I'm much more impressed with the Mighty Ducks show, though. I freaking stinking love that show. I'm not getting into this with you again. Oh, you like it too. I do like it, but I know where yeah. this is going to go, and I'm not getting it. I'm not going down that rabbit hole again. Christine said well, you're an uh, idiot, Anthony. Oh, the Lauren uh, Graham uh, rabbit hole. Eventually, we are going to cover for Patreon. Well, uh, I told yes. Christine that you said. Uh, Lauren Graham was the weakest link on Gilmore Girls. And she's like, man, Anthony's an idiot. She obviously is the weakest link on Gilmore Girls. She's not. I think I would have enjoyed Gilmore Girls a lot more if Rory was living with her grandparents the whole time. Oh, well, that hurts me to think about. I just cannot. Oh, don't get me started, Tom. But yes, <laughs> the Mighty Ducks as a whole, I have been loving. 
Love it. I just, I just really do wish that I had waited to binge it for these last two episodes to drop because now it's just like torture waiting for them. Yeah. When do they drop? When do new ones drop? Fridays. Yep. Fridays. I know I have so much stuff I'm waiting for now. I'm waiting for that. I got caught up on the Bad Batch. I'm just. Oh, how is the Bad Batch? I still want to. I still need to watch that. Oh, amazing! Really? That's what I heard. heard. I'm not a Star Wars fan, and I think it's out of this world. Well, that's awesome. You still need to finish the Mandalorian. I know I do. I don't want to. I like you do. Loki starts soon. I know. Who cares? Oh. Shut up on your face. We all care. I don't. We care about Loki. I do very much. I'm super excited about Loki. I mean. Then we got this Monsters, Inc. show, too. Like, where did that even come from? I didn't know there was a Monsters, Inc. show coming out. They announced that two years ago. Are you kidding me? Cartoon artists love each other very much. By the way, Dean was the weakest link in that whole show. Just saying. I liked Dean. You would. Uh, he was by far not Rory's worst boyfriend. Just saying, Logan was the worst. You can tattoo oh, that on my head. I will go. I will die on that hill. Logan was the worst. Yeah, but Matt Churchy, Churchy, and, and I'll also die actor. on the hill. That I hope that Rory's pregnancy was just that random Chewbacca guy she hooked up with at the con. But we'll never oh, figure whole, that out because that's, that not really, that's not canon. No, that's not. Yeah, canon. That's, like, that, that's like the last season of Arrested Development. It's not canon. No. Yeah, the addendum Gilmore Girls. It's technically more canon than the final season of Gilmore Girls because this was the original creators coming back to put their stamp on it and the way they wanted to. Well, they'd been away too long, apparently. It was trash. They were too far removed from it, and they ruined a good thing. I feel for the writers in general the same way I feel for the Star Wars writers when you lose a main cast member and have to rejigger all their scripts and everything to work around it and, like, like Richard was a big part of that original show. So they had to give yeah. Emily this whole storyline where she's grieving and back on the dating scene. And that was weird to me for mm-hmm. sure. And it's just like star Wars. They had to rejigger the whole storyline once Carrie Fisher died. Like mm-hmm. I feel bad when, you know, they're put in that situation. So I, I feel, think I that's a large part of why that was something weird. new back and completely alter a character and make it unbearable to watch. Yeah. Teach their own. We, I can't wait to get to those Christmas episodes. I know you said there's not many of them, but. No, there actually are. There are like nine. Oh. <laughs> or, six, well, or six or something. Well, that's the best news ever. I, putting, I can't wait to get to those either. I'm punching those and voting that we do those at the very end of our show. The last season. Why? I want to end because... on, because Anthony and I may, because if not, Anthony and I may get into it so badly that that is our last season. <laughs> Because his opinion of Lauren Graham and his love of infidelity just are going to push me over the edge. There is no infidelity in the Christmas episodes, so no need for it to come up. Just like there's no infidelity in tonight's Christmas movie, is there, Julie? <laughs> there's an attempt at it. There is an attempt at it. That's true. There is an amazing <laughs> lo- with an amazing retort. Amazing retort. Guys, this movie is chock full of quotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is quotable. It is ampy at times it is over the top and it is all around absolutely amazing and the movie we're talking about if you haven't caught on yet or haven't listened to the prior two episodes where we've told you what movie is coming up 
Um, we're talking about Die Hard 2 from 1990, which followed. For, for which we should apologize because I know there are some listeners out there who are very outspoken, like good old Disco 54 or Stephen Beach, who say the Die Hard debate is tiresome at this point because BuzzFeed and all these places do the same article every year and get everyone worked up and say, is it a Christmas movie? Is it not? And he's sick of it. But Die Hard 2 often gets overlooked and it is our job as a Christmas podcast to cover it and have that debate since BuzzFeed won't. There's so no sorry, debate. Disco. This one is emphatically everything about this movie is, is Christmas. Debatable. No, it's not. You've already said you agree with me. <laughs> All right. So Die Hard 2 premiered in theaters during the summertime as one of them summer blockbusters that drops around the 4th of July, um, which I thought was funny when I read it. I don't remember when Die Hard 1 dropped in theaters, but you potentially could have seen this for the first time in theaters on July 3rd, 1990. And boy, does it fit the 4th of July big blockbuster movie spot. Oh, yeah, it does. Boy, does it fit. Um, quick little plot synopsis for this one is. Instead of a tower, John McClane is infiltrating a lockdown airport. That's right. Um, An elevator, after another elevator, <laughs> another basement. How does this keep happening to me? <laughs> after the terrifying events in L.A., John McClane is about to go through it all again. A team of terrorists led by Colonel Stewart is holding the entire airport hostage. The terrorists are planning to rescue a drug lord from justice. In order to do so, they've seized control of all electrical equipment affecting all planes. With no runway lights available, all aircraft have to remain in the air with fuel running low. McLean will need to be fast. You ever watch these movies and think to yourself, like, how come more real-life terrorists don't take inspiration from the movies? I like mean, I was like when I was watching The Dark Knight Rises, when Bane blew up all the tunnels and bridges and basically isolated Gotham from the rest of the world and threatened to nuke it. Like that's yeah. very possible in the city. Like I'm surprised. Like more crap like that doesn't happen. Or you know right? who know who knows what they bust and we never hear about. But you know it's, it's crazy. Like some of these villains in movies are actually pretty darn smart, smarter than real life villains apparently. <laughs> Well, before we get into casting credit, let's talk about histories with Die Hard 2. Tom, you go first. Today, I'd never seen it. You had never seen Ooh. it? No, I never really thought much about the sequels at all. Uh, so today was my first time. Have you seen three? No. Oh, man. Oh, I love three. I think I think three is the last one before you can give up on the rest. Yeah, give up on everything after three. Three is great. Three is solid. It's got Samuel Jackson in it. So first time seeing it and you loved it, right? I did. I loved it. Anthony, what's your history and overall feeling of Die Hard 2? So I watched this. I think I watched all three back to back to back the first time I saw them because these were, they were all kind of before the age I could really watch all three. Mm-hmm. So I watched them back to back to back. And I remember I liked it at the time, didn't like it as much as the first and didn't like third as much as this or the first. But watching this again, I loved it. I think, honestly, controversial statement, I think it's nearly as good as the first, if not directly on par with the first. And I'll just say right now, it's definitely more of a Christmas movie than the first. And I don't know how this always gets lost in that Christmas debate because it is, 
it definitely feels like more of a Christmas movie than the first, which we all agreed here is a Christmas movie. Yep. But I loved it. And I, I did say earlier, Tom, you could stop after three. And the reason I said that is because Die Hard 2 and Die Hard 3 are still when John McClane is just a cop. He's an average Joe against who gets sent into these extraordinary circumstances accidentally. Whereas once you get past that, he's like action superhero guy and it loses that magic because he's not just a beleaguered retired NYPD cop, which is, I think, part of the magic of the character. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's right. What about you, Julia? Um, so I saw this one definitely not in theaters. My parents would not have allowed that. But exactly. I think I saw it kind of like you saw, um, Anthony, the kind of the way you saw it, except I didn't see three in conjunction. So I'm pretty sure I saw the first Die Hard on TV and then probably watched this one close to shortly thereafter as well to kind of just follow with the series um, because they're edited when they're on TV. And my dad and I really appreciate a good TNT movie showing of. Well, don't you love that episode of friends where they were planning a diehard night and they accidentally rented diehard one twice. So they were like, let's just watch it again. Like Joe and Ross put it <laughs> in again. <laughs> it is one of those movies though. That is so good. Like I could watch it back to back if it's on TV back to back. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't remember, um, I don't remember this one as much as I remember one and three. For some reason, I remember those a lot more. I've probably seen them more. Um, and I'm a huge Jeremy Irons fan, which is probably why I remember three so much better than this one. I couldn't even remember who the villain was in this one when I started it to watch today. Um, even though you see him very quickly, all of him. Um, was going to say, Tom, and I might cut this out, you had posted in Discord, warning Julia, naked man booty. Yes. Right after you talked about the Vicar of Dibley. And I thought you were talking about naked booty on the Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> and I was like, man, that is not the show I thought it was going to be. I'm okay. And then I started this movie and I'm like, oh, he was talking about this one. Yeah, and it was not Dennis, Dennis Fran Franz. No, it wasn't. I had to wait a few years to see that. Well, I know you said this was 1990, but while I was doing my research for this, I did want to take us down memory lane a little bit to the premiere of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and just talk about who was, what couples were there, because I think it's kind of funny. Oh, gosh. Christian Slater was still with Nina Huang then. Was, they went was Debbie Morris still with Persuolis? Yes. Yeah. And they went, they walked into the premiere together with Danny Aiello. Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Bernhard and Richard Grant went together. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Sarah Jessica Parker were together for this one. Oof, he definitely upgraded. And Julia Roberts was, I don't know if they were dating or engaged to Kiefer Sutherland when this movie came out. Wow. After they made that's that awesome movie, event right there. Flatliners, which is I, I one do of my favorite movies as a kid. Wait, so Julia, we kind of got lost in the shuffle there. Do you like this one? I know you said you didn't remember it. I like this it. one very much. Very, very much. Um, I think I still like the first one better. Um, but yeah, I mean, what's not to like about this one? It's just a reboot of one in a different location with a lot more Christmas. It's definitely more Christmassy than the first one. Um, absolutely agree about that one. Like, 
Did if we're going to sit here and argue I about think, which one would we watch for Christmas season, it would probably have to be this one before the first one. I think what I liked more about this one was just how self-aware of what it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he couldn't believe he found himself in the same situation on Christmas Eve again, which I appreciate. Yeah, Holly at, the end makes, Holly at the end asked, why does this keep happening to us? And they, they even like they, they do have some I mean, like some of the things were literally like like copy paste in the script. Yep. Like this, this was hallmark formulaic, like he goes straight from the elevator to the basement where he's encounters, you know, and he, he calls it out. And I love that. I think it's I think it <laughs> well, adds so much humor to it. Well, it's funny, right? Because like when you think of another classic Christmas movie, Home Alone 2 was the same, basically the same a remake yep. of one. And yeah. Chris Columbus calls that out completely too. Yep. Like he says all the time he made a remake. <laughs> like he said recently in with the news, Disney's remaking Home Alone. Why did you do a remake? I remade Home Alone already and it wasn't as good as the first one. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. But um, uh, I have a question for you guys. About that. It was good. Did either I, of y'all read the books Die Hard and Die Hard Two were based on the Walter Wagner novels? Didn't no, know books I don't think today. I knew there were books. Yeah. The second, the first one is called Nothing Lasts Forever, and it came out in 1979. And then 58 Minutes came out in 1987, and they're based. The movies are based on those two books. So is I have John not McClane read the protagonist in those books. They changed that's a weird thing. His name is different. They changed his name for the movie. His name is Frank Malone, but I mean, it's the same plot. Like on Wikipedia, when you read it, it is the same plot for the most part. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but no, I haven't read them either. I may, you know, summertime's a time for easy beach reads, right? Beach books by the pool. I may definitely pick them up. Who knows? All right, so. I'm glad that we all agree that we like this movie and we agree it's more Christmassy when we agree. Um, all right. So Die Hard 2 was directed by Rennie Harlan. Uh, he's done some other really good action stuff, notably Cliffhanger. I love that movie. Um, he also did The Fourth Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Master. Um, you Ooh, also saw was... him. Okay. That one was okay. The third one was like the best Nightmare on Elm Street. So I had a tough act really? to follow before it was okay. He directed Cutthroat Island, and we've actually talked about this guy before because he also directed The Long Kiss Goodnight from just, Ooh. what was that, a month or two ago? That was this year. And you know what? Wait, was that the one with Downey or was that the one with Gina Davis? Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Yes. Okay. I could see that. Similar action beats in both of these films. Yeah. Yep. Similarly over so the So we done talked about him. Reprising his role as John McClane, so we won't go into him because we've talked about him before, is Bruce Willis, who I love and adore. Um, his wife what was comes his, back. What was his thing on Friends? And I know we talked about this the first time. What was it he was saying in the mirror that Ross oh, was making fun of him for? You're strong, you're important, something like that. I Hold can't on, remember. I'm, I'm finding it. I'm just a love machine. <laughs> <laughs> and, he's dance, and he's got the dance down with it too and ross, and ross was like i just want to say i'm just a love machine <laughs> uh, coming back to play holly mclean who is again in peril although a little less peril than the first one directly anyway um is bonnie bedelia who tom bonnie bedelia culkin she's, yeah she's got some famous kids in her life Yes, the Culkin kids are her nieces and nephews. Man, the Culkin, the Culkin kid, the Culkin family is just all about Christmas, huh? 
I mean, Jerry, you must love that fact. Considering Home Alone's your favorite Christmas movie, you must love the fact that his aunt starred in two quintessential Christmas movies as well. Digs, digs all around. Um, playing our villain, and we had a few villains, but playing our like mastermind villain in this one is William Sadler, who plays Stuart, who is a former colonel. I think he's a colonel. Military leader. It's a colonel, yeah. Colonel. He's not former, he is a colonel. Yep. And he is most familiar to me from Shawshank Redemption, where he plays Haywood that movie who doesn't love that yeah, movie that's a great movie um but he's been a ton of stuff he's been in probably just as much tv as he has been in movies um and i was surprised to see him as a villain even though he may have been a villain in like a million and a half things he's not a villain in shawshank redemption really and so that's why i was like huh do you all remember do you remember last week when tom said he won't trust anyone who doesn't like Vicar of Dibley. And if there's a worst, if there's a listener who doesn't like it, he's going to deem them the yeah. worst listener. That's how I yeah. feel about Shawshank. I don't trust people who don't like that movie. That's just like, like an incredible movie. movie. <laughs> um, well, actually he was quoted talking about Shawshank Redemption said, nobody knows what a Shawshank is and redemption sounds so religious. So who's going to see it? Did he really? Yes. Uh, Julia, I'm surprised he you also, also didn't mention he played the president. He plays the president in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was kidnapped in Iron Man three by the Mandarin. He's the president in like oh, the universe. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, I'm looking he, through some of his cast photos. He's definitely played the bad guy before. I'm just like yes, apparently missing actually, that out of my catalog. He's actually played the Grim Reaper thrice. He looks he like Grim, Grim Reaper in Tales from the Crypt. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and the new Bill and Ted Face the Music. He came back to play the Grim Reaper again. Did you see that? No. It's actually pretty decent. Um, he and Rob, Rob Perlman were born on the same day. Uh, for politicos like myself, he also played the Grim Reaper. He did the voice of the Grim Reaper in our cartoon president where he voiced Mitch McConnell. And he played <laughs> Michael Finn in Showtime's The Comey Rule in that miniseries with Jeff Daniels and Brendan Gleeson. So. Hmm. I mean, he's got a substantial list of stuff he's been in, so. I feel like calling Mitch McConnell the Grim Reaper is giving him way too much credit. I just use like that stab. term that because that's like what he stab. calls himself. It just feels like a stab at the Grim Reaper, though. I find the Grim Reaper far more likable than Mitch McConnell. Did we like William Sadler as our villain? Oh, I He makes a great so villain. Much. I yeah. hated him so much in this. Which means he and did his job. He makes a really that's great job. Right. Did a good job. Um, he has some henchmen as well, like we typically see in movies like this. A few notable names to mention as his henchmen. Robert Patrick plays a dies really early henchman <laughs> like in the first now he doesn't even make it halfway through the movie um and you'll know robert patrick from the terminator primarily um and then later in his life from the x-files he was on that tv forget. show wasn't he on the unit yes he was on the unit he was great on the unit he was amazing on the unit and he was also it was another one of those scorpion those oh, i never watched that, that one it didn't last long enough oh is that it the one with really... like the really smart people that all work together to the yep. hackers is that the one about the hackers that was on like cbs 
Well, he's more than a hacker, but yeah, with Walter. Yeah. Yeah. Bernard was in that too, wasn't he? No, that was numbers. So many. I didn't watch. I didn't watch. I didn't get into numbers, but Scorpion, I was was Scorpion. I got into right after Lie to Me. Yeah. It was like my come down from Lie to Me. Another, um, what I would consider a big name, but was teeny tiny itty bitty name in this movie. Um, he John Leguizamo was also a face that you may or may not have recognized as a henchman. He also did not last very. He did not. John Leguizamo did not last long. This was, Nor did he get a lot of screen time. No. <laughs> Speaking um, of not getting a lot of screen time, Sergeant Al Powell, Reginald Bell Johnson. Whereas if there yes. was a down point in this movie, I missed him. I loved his character in the first one. I thought it was he funny was though. His, his dependence the on the uh, his dependence Twinkies. on the, the Twinkies at the, <laughs> the beginning. So that will be one of the many throwbacks you said the movie's kind of very self-aware about who john mcclain is and how he finds himself in these situations and different places all over um the well, twinkies was a nice throwback to reginald's character from the first one and well that's why i liked like about this Alfred movie type. too yeah right like you know, like he's the voice in his, in his batman's ear yeah he is and the one who's but, like doing all the research yeah he was great besides the throwback so i did like the fact that John McClane in this one, like they, they, like you said, they keep acknowledging the events of the first movie, but not just the characters who went through it. Like John, they, he, that made the news. He was a hero now. So he's getting all this unwanted good and bad attention. And I really liked seeing him deal with that in this movie, but we'll get into it. I did too. So another character, and it's a very 80s face is how I referred to him when he came on the screen. Um, John Amos plays... Grant, who is a was a former no, he is a current general. Well, he formerly worked with our villain. Yes. Sorry. Um, Sorry. And they served together. Um yes. and he has a very 80s him, face right? to me because you probably he framed him. Framed him. Oh, trained him. Yes, he trained him. That's right. He taught him everything he knows, he says. Um, he's most notable to me from coming coming to america both the original one originally for me and then the reboot which i have not like, seen yet i was about to say like i like the not reboot. watched the reboot steve uh disco 54 liked the reboot too but then i know people who really loved the original as well who hated it so i'd be curious to see what you think because i love the original but i really like the reboot too, the sequels too he also had um, a few john amos recurring roles on the fresh prince that's right. And he he had a run on the Mary Tyler Moore show. So really? he had a lot of TV in his early life. Yep. And mm-hmm. he was also in the original A-Team in 1984. Um, Hunter. I loved Hunter. I loved that show. We would watch that one on TV, Trace. And he Roots. Was, uh, did y'all remember? Did y'all have to watch Roots as a kid? Did y'all watch Roots? Who, who didn't yeah. have to watch Roots as a he kid? He was in Roots. It was so yeah. so uh, he was. Uh, he played himself in Uncut Gems. That Adam Sandler vehicle from 2019. I never saw that. He was also in the West Wing, and he has two recent Christmas movies: the BET TV made-for-TV movie Christmas Bells, and a movie from last year that I hadn't heard about called The Truth About Santa Claus. That premiered oh. December 21st, 2020, on uh, USA. That could be quite he depressing. Might pop up again. We will likely see him again. 
After um, running with Santa Claus, a man who does not want children finds the true gift of Christmas. Oh, sounds like a hallmark. Um, those are most of our recognizable face villains, although there's a whole scores of them enough to really let the body count pile up, as is the case in movies like this. Um, we have another type of villain, but really it's just the cop or authority figure that John McClane doesn't get along with right away. Again, and similar to the first France. one for the SWAT guy. Right. He takes yep. that place. That's absolutely right. And that's Dennis Franz, who, I don't know, I would say he's most notable for NYPD Blue. But The first butt, the first butt on uh, primetime television. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. It's a little sad. That's kind of what he's known for, isn't it? Eh, you know, your butt lives forever. Your butt's going to be more famous than you once you die. What a legacy. That <laughs> Yep, it's sad. It's very. I don't know that legacy is the word I would use there. Like it'll be the it'll be just an imprint of his butt on his tombstone one day. Oh my gosh. Um, he has a long history of playing cops, so he's a cop in this one. Although I wouldn't say a good cop in this one. He's a very good cop in NYPD Blue, Um, but he was also in Hill Street Blues for quite some years. So he's just got that copish. He's got that copish figure. I don't know. That's just what came to mind. The only other one I think we should talk about just because he's come back for roles is Esperanzo, Franco Nero. And that's basically like we've seen him in stuff like John Wick, but also he was in the original, he played Django in the original Django movie and came back for Django Unchained. Unchained. Right. So he's our real villain, although he's so distanced from it that he doesn't feel like the real villain. He's the guy that our real villain is trying to rescue and save and get out of custody and all of that. They're like extraditing him to the U.S., right? And they're trying to help him get free. Yeah. Right. So he's definitely a bad guy, but he's not our baddest bad guy. And he may have the most movies out there. In, in the works that we've ever covered, he's got 15 movies in some state of pre-post-production, I mean, filming, or completed. Yeah, he's insane. Yeah, he done been busy, that's for sure. Yes, good for him. Um, a few other names to note. Uh, revisiting his role from the first Die Hard is our obnoxious TV news guy, Thornburg, who uh-huh. is on the plane with Holly. The whole time and that provides us a little bit of comic relief because it, if we remember from die hard one she slugs him at the end don't, don't they have a really rest- doesn't he have a restraining him. order against him for at this point he does <laughs> he does <laughs> he is Only just to find as out they're on the same flight he is yep. just as obnoxious that's right um and then i want to mention uh just because i think it's fascinating when actors become politicians fred thompson who is the head of air traffic control in the movie not a bad guy not really hard for john mcclain to work with he's actually the guy that allows john mcclain to sort of get his sort of get his foot in the door and start to manage things to help you know get rid of the terrorists um he has definitely been in some movies he was also in law and order for quite some time as da arthur branch um all versions of law and order for that matter but he ran for, wasn't he GOP? 
was helpful. Yeah, he was, he, he was a presidential candidate. He was senator he was for years. Senator of Tennessee, right? Ninety-four oh. to 06. Yep. Before a certain party lost their minds completely, he was a more traditional politician. It's just so interesting to me when actors yeah, you, make the leap. Uh, yeah, now you have, sadly, it's becoming more and more common. Yes. Because one yes. made the ultimate leap. The quantum leap? I would not call him an actor. Uh, he was starred in such movies as Home Alone 2. Um, he was himself. Whoa, whoa, that whoa, whoa, count. whoa. No. Playing a cameo. It oh yeah, we yeah we have to go back yeah, to Reagan. Reagan multiple real actors actor. bought multiple entertainment individuals made the leap, and now we have and Matthew McConaughey seriously about. considering <laughs> governor running for governor in Texas. Mm-hmm. All they're going to do is bring up his naked drumming circle thing he had going on, and he'll lose. He's an icon in Austin and Texas. They will use that as a selling point. That he had a naked drum circle that will boost him to the position. Caitlyn Jenner's running for governor of California. And Mm -hmm. Cousin Eddie keeps saying he's going to throw his hat into the ring. I will say that it it appears that Caitlyn Jenner has unified all sides of every political issue that I know of into a mutual disdain for her as a person. Uh, if Cousin Eddie becomes governor, which I do not want to happen personally, but imagine his first governor's meeting with uh, President Biden. You serious, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't stand a chance in California anyway. Let's just be honest. Thank God for that. All right. All right. So I wanted I wanted to make a quick comparison, if I may. Yeah. I don't want to steal Please. the show here, but I want to put this in perspective. Um, in the first Die Hard, we had a total of 23 deaths. Die Hard 2 blew out of the water with 294. Uh, they cheated I mean, a bit by blowing up a plane. But people. Well, each, each okay. Subsequent, each subsequent Die Hard has a higher body count, though. No, hmm. 3 doesn't have higher than 2. Oh, wait. No, I'm saying they're, they're talking plus previous movies. Sorry. Oh, uh, it was not 294. Was... This one has 271. This has the highest body count. So I had forgotten. I had I had completely forgotten that a whole plane explodes. Yeah, and that was kind of shocking because that's like a that's a major escalation between the first one and this one to kill a whole plane full of people. Like that's a bad guy. And, and you don't often that see is a lot of bodies. You do what and you got to do to get those a... snakes off the plane. Well, that's a that's an indication of the time period this is made too, because nowadays you see all types of explosions, but Hollywood's hesitant to blow up passenger planes in movies anymore. Ever since nine eleven, that's right. Uh, they are, but but it's it's happening. I think it's happening more. Honestly, what it just it, there was there were two. Well, one was a private, one was a a, a full passenger in a Homelander killed. Well, uh, yeah, but. that one that was awful too to watch. Okay. So we are no longer in Los Angeles. We are in DC. We're at Dulles Airport. And 
I'm still not super clear on this, but John is there with the kids and his in-laws in the DC area. Holly has been away, I'm assuming in Los Angeles, but I don't understand why they were apart from each other and he was strapped with the she kids. I missed that part. She, she, she was working. She was, working. He was the, Yeah. Okay. And why did they go to DC? Because he picked himself up from Los, from New York City and has been working as an LA cop. Isn't that where the in-laws lived? Yeah, they live in DC. So they were just there for Christmas. Is that uh-huh. what it is? I think, oh, okay. I think he just got there a little early with the kids. I gotcha. Okay. So he's there with grandparents. They're spoiling the kids rotten. He just wants to see Holly again because he misses her. And you can tell their relationship appears to be in a really good place. And that I mean, makes he me saved happy. Her from I a terrorist. See. He did, but you know, so many of and that was a year ago. So many of these movies, you know, just cycle through that. Oh, well, we were fine at the end of the last movie, but now we're in a bad place again, you know, like shucks. Um, but that's not the case with this one. Um, so she's flying on an airplane towards Dulles. He's at Dulles doing his John McClane thing, which is waiting for his wife. And watching everybody in the airport with a heightened sense of paranoia. Because and John wouldn't McClane you be paranoid? Is, absolutely. But he is like super cop. I mean, this was really the heyday of we didn't have superhero movies. Like our suit, our cops like this were our superheroes. He can just like sense what's going on around him and um i take offense to that because superman came out in 78 and batman came out the previous year in 89 but, they, but it wasn't but they it was didn't nothing feel like so now and and i and yeah. i was born and i was born in 89 so and so superhero was legitimately born the year before i'm a literal superhero so we see some of the background terrorist activity separate from john mcclain we got to build that story up we got to know what's going on so william sadler's character who I'm just going to call him William Sadler or the guy from Shawshank. Cause I never know their names. Stewart. 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 Yep. We see him in his hotel room with not a stitch of clothing on doing like Tai Chi or something. And you can just tell like, okay, he's our bad guy. Something's about to go down. Um, he leaves his hotel room only to be flanked like in marching, like in marching formation order with all of these other guys in combat boots with presents in their arms. And so you're I like, like how about to go down. I like how the filmmakers decided in the first one, we gave the men in the audience naked women. This time we'll give the women naked Colonel Stewart. (laughs) I'm good. Thanks. Um, (laughs) So we get introduced to our bad guy and we hear and we get sort of that story building where there is a massive drug dealer on a plane who is being extradited and brought in to be brought to justice. Rennie Harlan wanted to introduce Colonel Stewart. Um, he thought it was a bit, an effective but unusual way to introduce a character by having him do naked mar- mixed martial arts exercises. It was unusual. It was unusual. <laughs> it was very unusual. Um, so we're building our backstories and we're kind of getting ourselves oriented. It's Christmas. And so the airport is just a hot mess. People are everywhere. And that felt Christmassy. Um, stressed and- people in an airport. Felt Christmassy. And because this is not LA, outside it is snowing like crazy. And because of that, the Christmas decorations and lights we do get to see outside look all the more effective blowing in that snow. Mm-hmm. Like the snowman behind the clade when he's lighting up his cigarette and everything like that. They had to ship That's in right. the snow because it was so unseasonably warm. 
and they couldn't get enough snow from Canada, so they had to use paper flakes, potato flakes, marble dust, and rock salt. Marble dust mm-hmm. sounds like a hazard. Sounds like it would not feel good on the on Julia's dry eyes. No, it really wouldn't. <laughs> um, I don't even think we were recording when we were talking about LASIK, so that's not going to mean anything to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think we should leave it in there. We, should, we need to put some little gems in oh, there. Oh, I'm absolutely leaving it in there. <laughs> Y'all know what this was called um, in Russia? What? what? Hard nut to crack. Hard nut to crack? Yep. It's hard Gotta to love the Russians. Um, I do want to take this moment to point out, since they're still at the beginning and you're still setting the scene, Julia, that automatic little deduction for me because... We did not kick off this Christmas movie with one of the best Christmas songs ever, Christmas and Hollis. And also, we don't have our limo driver this time, and I miss nope. that character. He was he was yeah. a fun character. Yeah, he was a fun character. We don't, I don't think, kick it off with any Christmas music. No, we don't. Which is a missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. We should have done that. Um, all right, so... John McClane is stressed because I mean his car gets towed. He still feels like that fish out of water, right? Like he's, he fits in New York. He doesn't really seem to fit anywhere else, not even in DC, which is just like so much closer to New York. Like he definitely doesn't fit in Los Angeles. He still doesn't seem to quite fit in DC. Plus, and it's worse now because everyone recognizes him. That's right. It is worse now. Um, so we still get that nice, uncomfortable John McClane that I really appreciate. He's not in his element until he gets to the third movie. Um, and the build of that is nice. I like that because that's the kind of John McClane I want. And that's why you should stop with the third movie because it's a complete arc. He's still a normal person when he gets in his element before he becomes a superhero. That's Just right. saying. That's right. It's a full Holly arc and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <sighs> Hollywood I haven't milking, seen any of the new ones, honestly. Hollywood so. milking cash cows until they dry up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got to bring our terrorists and John McClane together at some point. So what we do is we have some terrorists at the airport laying the groundwork for what will be their future big act. Um, John McClane sees some weirdness and decides... I'm going to follow them because something ain't right with that. Um, And so we have our first major gunfight scene um, in the basement. (laughs) So there's a little nod to your first one because he does make a comment about how do I always find myself in the basement? And in the same scene, he is in an air duct as well, or a type of air duct anyway. I mean, it was an air, it was a proper air duct. Um, which is another callback to the first, the first movie, which I thought. I mean, that's probably the most iconic image of the first movie: him crawling through that air duct. Yeah, yeah. I know what a picture on every everything that's used, right? That's right. Um, So we get a gunfight. We have our first body drop, which is a bad guy gets squished in a in a, a conveyor belt for bags because it's the bag handling center. Um, and one of our bad guys gets away because he has to, um, cause he's got to go circle the wagons with all the other bad guys. So this is where John McClane is like, something is up. Let me engage the local authorities. Just like in the first one, local authorities are like, 
you're a total idiot. Nothing's going on here. Gun fights happen all the time in our baggage. We don't have time to mess with this because it's the Christmas season. It's a What's typical. Everybody knows who he is at this point. They know what he's done. Like we continue to get your John McClane. You're John McClane. You're John it's McClane. a it's a Great typical value. thing that you see happen all the time when there are crimes that happen over state lines or federal yeah. crimes, and the FBI wants to get involved with local police. Local police never like when other police or the feds step on their toes. Right. Yeah. And we have a real jurisdiction issue here because it's an airport, right? So it's own little microcosm. So this is where we meet Dennis Francis character or Franz, and he's a real fun guy. And <laughs> he uh, definitely does not get along with John McClane and John McClane basically says, you need to be doing these things like, come on, basic fingerprinting. And the guy's like, we don't have time to do that. We'll do it later. Get out of my office. And Isn't John McClane has a great quote about, metal detector in his defense like not to defend the stereotypical incompetent police guy but you don't automatically i mean nowadays you probably would assume if something happened at an airport that you would investigate for terrorism but back then you're not like you would just consider it like an incidental you know some very true yeah it's hard to watch this watch this one with fresh eyes. So like Tom, it you is. seeing it for the first time today, I can't imagine because I saw it pre all of the 9-11 stuff and it didn't seem wild like it does now watching it with that frame of reference. Uh, I want to point out the first point of the first problem I had with, with the uh, accuracy of this film. I had to go research because when I saw the aerosol can that John McClane had get shot, I was like, mm, that's not what it would do. And that's not what it would do. Aerosol cans, when shot, explode. Just saying. It did kind of explode, didn't it? They don't just shoot off. They explode. It would not have stayed in his hand. His hand oh. would have been gravely injured. That's totally one of the Google searches that got you flagged in some database somewhere. <laughs> what happens when I shoot that's an right. aerosol can? That's correct. Um, <laughs> get, can we talk about the terrorist plan here? Because it's around now and the cop is dismissing McLean that we kind of switch back to the terrorist point of view and figure out what they're up to. That's right. Because the, the terrorist from the airport makes his way back to home base. And that's where we get big picture, which is a beautiful little church, like in the snow, like it was awful to see it corrupted by these awful human beings and horrible. Like the the church, the guy who is, who is there keeping an eye on the church. He's like, I kind of feel like part of me is dying along with this church. And they the Tara says, Well, you're right about that. And then shoot. The oh man. So <laughs> Such 80s an too. 80s thing. The gun, yeah, the gunshot so sounds in this are awful and need to be redone. Like, they're they so loud. Well, they yeah. don't even sound like a gun. They're they're loud, but they're super muffled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you want to tell us what the grand plan is, Anthony? Yeah. So basically. Well, like we mentioned earlier, their ultimate plan is to intercept the plane that's holding this um, general from like Venezuela or somewhere, one of those country types of countries who is being extradited to the U.S. for crimes to be put in prison. Uh, their grand plan is to intercept this plane when it lands in D.C. and basically hijack the plane and fly him to some country, to some other country so he can escape and be free. So they set up the space at the church where it's pretty devious and genius plan. They hack into air traffic control 
sever all communications of the airplanes in the air flying into DC and deactivate runway lights. So the planes are forced to circle the airport because it's in the middle of a snowstorm. It's night. They can't see where they want to land and ground control can't communicate with them. So it's honestly pretty devious way to have everyone obey your demands. And again, I go back to what I said earlier, pretty scary what movie writers can come up with and to think that things like that. Yeah. I don't know. Just it's obviously it would not be that easy in real life, but the fact, but who knows with our Mm -hmm. crappy infrastructure, but anyway, I don't know. We just took down a pipeline for an entire week and had to pay people millions of dollars to get it back up and running. This plan really hits John McClane close to home, too, because his wife is flying into D.C., so she is now stuck on one of these planes circling uh, the airport in the snowstorm, which obviously this causes problems to the planes because fuel is not unlimited. They can only circle for so long before they run out of fuel and would crash anyway. Right, and the weather is making it even worse because the wind... Did you see what the lady sitting next to Holly was reading? No, what no. was she reading? It was, I don't know what, mag- it was some magazine, like some like US Weekly or something, but it was all about um, uh, Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, are you serious? How <laughs> funny is that? Which is funny because uh, when I was researching this, it was, I was, I read something that uh, Mel Gibson was originally also like one of the, one of the, the few candidates for the role of John McClane and Bruce Willis was one of the candidates for the for the role in Lethal Weapon. Oh, that's so funny. I'm glad they ended up where they did. It works better. I did too. They're, they're Absolutely. Better there. And I'm glad this was before Hollywood did needless crossovers because you know nowadays they tried to do a crossover between Lethal oh. Weapon and Die Hard. That would have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so our villains have their own air traffic control set up in this little church hub. Um, I'm highly concerned about guys just taking chainsaws to electric pipes. And like, that would not have ended well, frankly, for that well, guy the other with guy, that chainsaw. But the other guy had already <laughs> taken an axe to something else. Oh my gosh. Like, Come on, Julia. It's a science. That's not how electricity <laughs> works. Um, so, <laughs> so our villains are communicating with air traffic control and tell them, here's the deal. A plane is going to land in 58 minutes and you are going to do a dang thing about it. And if you try to, we are holding all of these circling planes hostage. Yeah. And they, and they warn them, don't you try to circumvent us and regain contact with the planes and regain control of the system. Otherwise they are going to blow a plane out of the sky essentially. Right. So immediately they start to figure out a way to circumvent the system and communicate with the planes. It's our scrappy, and I love this character, um, it's our scrappy air traffic control guy, right, who figures out we might have a way to do this, so let's give it a shot. So him and a little mini SWAT team try and make their way to, it's like a hub, right, like a communication hub. It's the satellite outside of the... That's uh, right, to try and communicate offline, so to speak, so that our terrorists don't know. And immediately and the only person who knows well. there's a problem is John McClane. That's They're right. all, everybody's all for this. And he's like, wait, that's a small little area. That's, that's a, uh, the, the whole thing there is, is a trap. They're going to funnel the SWAT team into a narrow area and take them out. And right. of course, as is always the case, John McClane is right. He's right. 
And he's the one that busted. He's the one that has brought to light the fact that we have terrorists involved anyway, because yes. he offside, we've got to mention Reginald's part in this, his teeny tiny little part, but super important. Um, after John McClane tells Dennis Francis character, he's going to look into it. And France says, no, you're not. Well, he looks into it. So he takes some fingerprints from the dead guy, gets them to Reginald. Reginald runs him and says, that dead guy is actually already dead. Or is he? And he's like some former amazing super secret ops. And so this is what raises Wait, the are hackles. We are we the talking about this? Down. Are we talking about the janitor? No, no. We're no, no, no. I had to back up a little bit okay. to give the John McClane, John McClane a little credit. Like he is legit the guy that's bringing all this stuff to light. Okay. So plan number one to try and communicate with planes and save everybody doesn't go well. And they uh, blow it up. Yeah, they tell the plane, the bad guy acting as air traffic control, uh, radios this poor British plane with a famous, with the the pilot is the guy from far and away and a bunch of other stuff that I can't think of what his name is. <laughs> this the sweet British plane that's full of people and like kids and precious old ladies and like all this junk. He tells them, hey, you're totally fine to land. But guess what? They've completely underestimated by lots of feet the fact that they are closer to the runway than they think they are. So they end up coming yeah, they, in hard. Well, they, they changed and <laughs> they changed they changed ground level, but they changed what the the the, the altitude. Of, the altitude of ground or the height the ground level by 200 feet yeah yes so they were expecting they had 200 more feet to land and they did not and john no, was out there being a hero and i yeah, love mcclain's reaction yeah i loved his reaction here how like he's upset he can't yeah. save them and then his also relief that when he finds out well, it's not holly's plane because that's his immediate first thought he wanted to make sure his wife wasn't on that plane that's right that's right um everybody on the plane dies and we're all shocked because, like, that is a huge body count for one of these movies. And you would think innocent this bystander body count. Let's clarify, well, right? And, innocent. And have you have you body. have you seen Man of Steel? They destroyed that's, that whole city. Yeah, but that's <laughs> but, that's way past. I'm talking about like the I'm, '80s. This yeah, scene. no, with absolutely. This, with this, we see we follow the flight attendant. She's helping the kid get buckled up, talking to the elderly lady. Yeah. Like, like they do a good job in a very short amount of time making you feel for these complete um, nobody characters on the plane. Yeah. So that That's when right. it does crash, you feel really bad. And it's not just a bunch yeah. of nameless people to you, faceless right. people. You're feeling it. That's right. This sends John McClane into, I mean, somewhat of a depression, right? Like he's super just like distraught by it. Everybody well, is. What he had done was he had taken these these metal poles and wrapped fabric around them and lit them on fire, trying to show them where where ground was, and it didn't. Which work. was a pretty bad a. I yeah, love his ingenuity in these movies, like <laughs> just his MacGyver esque uh, way right. to. But just in the final scene, he had way too much, way too much on him to not have caught fire, right? Like. <laughs> Don't analyze it. Like he would have, he, he should have burned too. <laughs> Not that I that wanted him to, but. Now that would have been a different ending. <laughs> if he saved the airport, but he went up in flames at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and Holly comes to his jarred carcass. 
Okay. So plan number one doesn't go so well. So this launches us into plan number two. And part of plan number two is bringing in an elite squad of military men to help like us. A right. SWAT team, like almost. Yeah, uh, it's like a SWAT, SWAT team. team. Well, they were, they were is... called, they were called, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me go back to my notes. This is essentially the, the name they use is the actual precursor to Delta Force. Yeah, they're oh, called Blue okay. Light. They're called Blue Light, which is a real U.S. military anti-terrorist team that was part of the Army's 5th Special Forces Group in the 70s, and it was replaced by the Delta Force. Oh, that's cool. So these guys are legit. These guys are legit. And they're led by uh, John Amos's character, Grant, who knows our villain the best. He trained him. And so he's like extra insight into this guy's villainous Maybe. mind. Yeah. And this guy is like when they you talk know, about major and you have ground control, were you just were you just hearing ground <laughs> control to major Tom? Major Tom. <laughs> I'm <laughs> in my head so much. Oh boy. <laughs> and, th- and this is where um uh McLean finds the two-way, the little walkie-talkie, and hears over the two-way radio that um Esperzana, the terrorist, has yeah. killed the pilots on his plane and taken control of the plane. So he's in control of the plane he's on, and he's getting ready to he, land his plane. He needs to land that thing. Not, he does That's not right. look like he knows how to land a plane or fly a plane. He looks so awkward in this role. Yeah, yeah. he does. But he needs to land it urgently because he's losing cabin pressure because bullets done busted out the windshields. Also. Also, I don't believe somebody like who is essentially like what he's an overthrown dictator or something like general mm-hmm. dictator from another country would have such lack security on his transport on his transport to wherever he's going to face <laughs> punishment for his crimes. But bunch of young like, guys. <laughs> I mean, obviously, a Noriega character here, right? Like that's what we're seeing. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Given the time, absolutely. Um, so John McClane gets this down low tip from a hot radio that they're using. And so he heads out to the runway because he's going to intercept this plane and he's going to bring the guy in himself. Right. Because if you get rid of the bait, then you don't have a problem anymore. So he's headed that way at the same time, our scrappy guy from air traffic control comes up with plan number two, which is tag along with the SWAT team because guess, Oh, well, we're not there yet. No, we're not there yet. He intercepts the bad guy and then John McClane teams up with the scrappy guy and they go looking house to house in the neighborhood. Am I right? Right. So first McClane. The scene where where he gets to Esperanza though is kind of funny. He's, he takes them out. He's, he's got Esperanza. Then Esperanza's force comes to rescue him and they leave John McClane on the, on the plane and throw in six grenades and he and the injects grenades, the grenades wait long enough for him to get into the pilot seat, buckle up, and eject out of the plane before they blow up. That, this is such a I again, it is over the top. It is cartoonish. It is such a superhero move, but I loved every I love it. minute of I it. I love it. Oh, and that shot of him like in when the he's air coming the up fire. in the air and his face is yeah <laughs> like it's so great and iconic and that was definitely that in the trailer I and again that. this is what i like about 
these first two films especially, but even the third compared to the later ones, he is almost blundering his way into saving the day in these first few films. Like you Mm -hmm. can tell he's like accidentally like surviving half the time. And like, you have those moments of levity and goofiness. Like you just said, where he's where the wind from the explosion is like blowing his face as he's going in the air. It's very funny. At the same time, it's thrilling. Goes along. Yep. (laughs) And I'm so there for it. (laughs) Um, That's where he circles back with the SWAT. He meets the guy on the SWAT team and all that stuff. And they're like, you're reckless. And you're going to like, you're like, why? You're not helping things at all. And he's like, if I would have caught that guy, I would have helped like a whole lot. And they're like, just shut up and let us do our job. And so this is where he teams up with our scrappy air traffic controller. And the guy's like, wait a second. I think we might have another way around this. Let's go door to door in this neighborhood because there's a smaller substation or something like that. They're outside of the contact zone. If we can get to that place, maybe we can contact these airplanes on this the is, This is like one of my, leads to one of my favorite action sequences in the movie. So they come upon the church, right? Mm-hmm. And little scrappy guy gets killed, right? Is this where he gets killed? Does he get killed? He doesn't get Some, killed. Somebody got killed. Anyway, they come upon the church, and this is a snow. This is where they get into the snowmobile chase. And I yes. this this seemed very like Christmassy. Like this was like very yeah. the snow falling in the air. They were riding through backyards with lights and everything. I loved the scene. Yeah. And it but is. this is where this is where uh, John McClane realizes because he picked up one of the mercenaries' guns. It's firing blanks when he tries to shoot these. He's like I know I had him in my sights mercenaries so that's when he comes to the conclusion uh oh classic 80s trope double cross the SWAT team is actually in on Stewart's plan you know though I was I've been so out of I've been so out of 80s media that I was actually surprised I was like wait (gasps) (laughs) yeah I I I, and I liked the character too and I know that's what they were going for like yeah. I, I didn't want Grant to be a to be a double agent, but he fits the bill perfectly. Yeah. And it's quickly confirmed that, you know, that's the case because he slits one of the guys on his team that's not an actual bad guy. Slits his throat and you're like, oh shoot. That's who he killed. That's who I was talking about. Yeah. Okay. He yeah. so he did kill somebody. It was an actual good SWAT soldier who ends up killing. Right, right. Yeah. That's right. He slit his neck. <laughs> okay. So this so, leads and, to and the one line of is like, my I wish favorite I'd... scenes. <laughs> I know, I know exactly which one. Go for it, Julia, because I love this scene too. No, what were you going to say, Tom? <laughs> oh, it's because the guy says, oh, I wish I'd been there with y'all in Grenada. And, and General said, yeah, me too. And he's like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, because then I wouldn't have to do this. And then slit his throat and killed him because he wasn't one of them. I know. It was harsh. It was real harsh. Um, so John McClane figures out the gun thing in the field and he hoofs it back to the airport because he's got to tell somebody that these guys are double crossers. And so he rolls up in that airport, finds a janitor, um, makes his way to Dennis France's office. And he is like, 
you guys have a real problem with that SWAT team. And they're like, no, we don't. They're on their way. They're doing the good things. And John McClane is like, no, they're a bunch of double crossers. And of course this cop doesn't believe him. So what does John McClane do? But he busts out this machine gun and he starts just like firing rounds at our cop and the cop loses it. Well, firing blanks. Cause he knows he's not actually going to shoot these people. They're blanks. Right. But that makes right. the same sound. So the, the cop freaks out and drops to the floor. I love it. It was so funny. And he tells him, look at that. They were using these rounds out in the field. They're blanks. They're double crossers. They're on their way to meet up with Esperanza right now and all fly off into the sunset. So we got to do something about this. Yeah. (laughs) So this is when we kind of switch back to the point of view on the flight, right? Because on the flight, they're... Every, all the passengers are getting antsy, but Holly, who's a reporter, is getting a bit suspicious, and so is Thornburg, her obnoxious oh. colleague, or the obnoxious reporter who had filed a restraining order against her. Mm-hmm. And he is in the bathroom, kind of tapping into the radio's ground control down on the ground, mm-hmm. and he finds out exactly what's happening because he taps into like a secret transmission somehow from that high up in the 90s. Well, no, he just got the he so the the guy on the ground in air traffic control the, the guy we keep calling Scrappy. The Scrappy guy gets permission to tell all the planes what's going on when he can make contact to them. And so Thornburg phones into the news. Well, but he he hijacked he 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 hacked into the air traffic or the uh, the cockpit radio to get all his information. Sorry, I'm just clarifying how this happened. Yep. So he phones into the news and totally sensationalizes the whole incident, which causes a huge panic, both in the air and on the ground. I got a yep. question you hear. He sensationalizes it. They just took down a plane and killed 200 and something innocent people. But at this point, they're kind of getting on the ground control of the situation again, at least with the hijacked planes. Well, and he's up in the plane saying, all of us victims are up here and there's nothing we can do about it. My brilliant mind and my brilliant blah, blah. And he makes some comment about how he's going to win the Pulitzer or something. Which Holly can't stand listening to. So she, her, the lady next to her earlier said, I used to carry mace. (laughs) Now I've got one of these and I just tase somebody if they mess with me. She gets the taser. They bust open the door to the bathroom and just tase Thornburg. And he looks dead. and again, imagine in a post 9-11 world just carrying a stun gun in your purse onto the plane. Right. Well, not okay. Going, back to, going all the way back to the airport, like John McClane, every time we see him, he's just sitting there smoking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no so big much, deal. Yeah. Yep. That's right. I love how so many planes nowadays still that are not quite updated yet still have the ashtrays in the bathroom, like the little built-in ashtrays. Oh, gosh. That's a good indication that you should probably consider not being on that plane. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe fly a different carrier. <laughs> stop, fly, so, stop flying. Fly, stop, stop booking on flyforless.com, Anthony. <laughs> oh, please. So, and this leads to the climax of the film, right, Julia? That's right. Yep. You want to tell us about that? So, they're getting the uh, Esper's. Esperanza and Stewart and Grant and all their men are on the hijacked plane on the ground they're taxiing getting ready to take off and john mcclain you know he hops on the wing of the <laughs> hops on the wing of this plane he tries to slow it down by putting his coat in in the uh you know the propeller yeah. thing to, and then he throws to... a guy in there to try and slow it down <laughs> <laughs> and this leads to an awesome 
total 80s fight scene on the wing of the plane when Grant and Stewart climb out there to take out McLean. <laughs> McLean, to your point, pushes Grant into, well, <laughs> into it. He pushes him off. Grant holds on and gets sucked in. And that is my favorite death of this movie. <laughs> it's the best death. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that spray of blood that, and, and some sort of... <laughs> <laughs> out, unidentified chunk and the blood splatter. It was also they were still gonna fly after that. Nowadays, if a bird hits a taxi and claim, oh they make you they make you taxi for like a full checkup before. In all fairness, care. they did not have permission to take off to begin with. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's not like it's not like air traffic controls like, well, that was a body, you're still good to go. They they really weren't supposed to be doing what they were doing anyway. That's true. So Stewart, though, he manages to knock McLean off the plane and free the wing. But not before McLean had opened the fuel hatch. So the fuel is leaking all over the runway. And as the plane is zooming to take off, he lights his uh, lighter, throws it on the fuel trail, which catches up to the taking off plane and explodes it. The whole Again, explodes. He was covered with fuel at this point, though. <laughs> I loved every second of this. It was I did again, too, but this is where we would have seen his charred carcass left, left on the runway. It's so funny because, like, for movies from the '80s and early '90s, I love this over-the-top action stuff. But because yeah. we're in a different time now, when you make a new movie like this, like the Fast and the Furious franchise, which oh. I can't stand, it annoys the crap out of me when they do crazy crap like this, and there's no basis in realism. But the '80s over-the-top action stuff. Give it to me all day, every day, because I love it. Well, because we didn't have a realistic action movie in the 80s. We didn't have any precedent to set it against. So once they started giving us like realistic action movies, these seem silly. But if they predate that, they're not silly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We don't have Jason Bourne yet. That's right. We didn't have Jason Bourne yet. Anyway, what's really cool about, <laughs> about this climax <laughs> is... Not only does John McClane's little trail of fire take up the plane, but it also provides the light needed for all the hijacked, for all the circling planes, which can't to get, up there. <laughs> to, get to land, even though all the lights at the airport on the runways are out. And it's like right. perfectly ties together. And I love it. Just they bathe the runway and- with the dead bodies of the villains and they just <laughs> follow it on in there. <laughs> That's right. It's glorious. And of course, Polly's plane is the first one down. That's right. Uh huh. And her and McLean embrace on the fiery runway in the snow. I love uh, he's just walking around going, Holly, Holly, just yelling her name. So and wonderful. he's in bad Romantic. shape at this point, just like the first one. He's he bloody, he's bruised, he's limping. And I love it. I love it. It's not diehard if he's not in real bad shape in that last. Well, Bruce Willis can't act well enough to be in bad shape. So it's fine. Uh, by the way, speaking of Bruce Willis, I saw an, a photoshopped image of him as he is today, bald and older, as Lex Luthor in Lex Luthor's like power suit. He oh. would be an amazing Lex Luthor. I want that to shiny happen. head. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, he does. But and then the movie ends, and I loved, I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this movie, like the first one's amazing. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And personally, I think the first one is still slightly better story-wise and just tighter. But this one, it's nearly there, in my opinion. And it's definitely, I don't get why it's cut out of the Christmas conversation around the holidays every year. Because it is I don't either. 10 times more Christmassy than the first. Yep. Uh, we do have our, our famous line. 
from John McClain again. Yippee ki You could have done it the same way TBS did and just said, yippee ki Mr. Falcon. <laughs> I, I'd rather, you the need I'd to rather remind both you, be in there. I feel and the need we put to remind the you up. that there is nobody in the movie named Mr. Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna be that ridiculous about it, you might as well just go yippee kayak, other buckets. That's right. <laughs> Can we talk quotes? Because there are a lot of great quotes in this movie. There are a lot of. Oh, great are we not doing that as we went along? Sorry, y'all. Oh Let's well, add I, to the party here. I I like the beginning when John and Holly are talking, and she's calling him from the plane, and he's you know she's like John, wake up, it's the '90s. Microchips, microwaves, faxes, and airphones. McLean says, as far as I'm concerned, progress peaked with the frozen pizza. (laughs) (laughs) I love that part of this, too, is that he is an old school cop, right? And he's just old school anyway. And I love the fact that he's so intimidated by so much of this technology. And then when the technology is eliminated, he's like... It's my time to shine. <laughs> Let yeah. me do it though. But the technology we need to do it with guns and like muscles. <laughs> I love technology um, we're talking about though. It's like a fax machine. Well, yeah. which is funny Big today. Stuff back then. Right, Big it stuff. is, but it's just funny today. <laughs> I I love there. So there's this whole kind of subplot at the airport too that we didn't really mention with another reporter named Samantha. Mm-hmm. And um a I not scumbag reporter. A not scumbag. She just really she was very um she was a go-getter. She really wanted her story. Yeah, she's super earnest. Uh, I love her and John kind of strike the steel. And Samantha's like, you give me the story and I'll have your baby. And John's like, not the kind of ride I'm looking for. <laughs> I like the other line where uh, after he talks to Reginald, the, <laughs> the lady at the counter who lets him use the fax machine, is like, hey, I'm getting off soon. You want to go grab some drinks? And he points at his ring and he says, the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Just the facts. So it's good. Just like so Such funny. A dad to me. joke. Oh, I love oh it. my god. So, sorry, Julia. Can I? I have one real quick. You go. I don't <laughs> have any. So I love toward the beginning when John's crawling through the air vent to the airport, and he's talking to himself, <laughs> just like the first one. Like the first one, he has that iconic thing. But I'd go to the Christmas party, you know, talk to himself. This one, he's like. Just once, I'd like a regular, normal Christmas. Eggnog, Christmas tree, a little turkey. But no, I got to crawl around in this tin can. <laughs> Which is just so funny. Like, it's just his exasperation as he's uh-huh. doing it. So after his gunfight in the basement, he comes up and he's like, you got the wrong guy. I'm the cop. He's the bad guy. And they're like, yeah, sure. Where's your ID? And he goes to show his badge and it's not there. And he's like, on its way to Cleveland. <laughs> i just love some of the 80s one like responses in here like the 80s action like one-liners that really are so lame when you take them out of context but like when he's talking to al and al's like you're not pissing in somebody's pool are you and john replies yeah and i'm fresh out of chlorine like what that's not even like a cool line but in the context of the movie when you're watching it for the first time you're like ah what a cool guy So piggybacking off of that one, that was my next one, but the one after that. Oh, sorry, Julie, did you have one? No, no, you go. Uh, the the report is like, I saw the staff. Uh, I saw the staff where it is. That was your handiwork, like about what 
like all these dead people. I saw the stiff, mm-hmm. sorry, with with the dead guy. She's like, I saw the stiff. Where does that was your handiwork? And he replies, Nah, I do needlepoint. <laughs> <laughs> when he says to Carmine, you had referenced this earlier, and I'm gonna Julia, I'll make editing easier for you. He says, uh, he's he when when Carmine, who is Dennis Franz, is kicking him out. He says, One question, Carmine, which sets off the metal detectors first? The in your brains or the lead in your <laughs> those are my oh and i love how we, we we bring back the pinko insult that was ad-libbed when the colonel's talking to showing his, his disdain for the female reporter he calls her pinko b-word yeah that's like old school commie hate right there I kind of I like when John and Stuart first run into one another at the airport where John gets a bad feeling after their exchange and Colonel Stewart just kind of bumps into him and he's like excuse me and John's like and then he like does a double take and just kind of stares at him and John's like oh you look very familiar to me and Stuart's like I get that lie I've been on TV and John's like yeah you too like <laughs> I want to get to rankings I want to see how y'all rank this Hold on, I just am switching through. Well, while I'm looking for more, does this have as clear a Linus moment as the first one did? No. I agree, no. You don't have that trying to fix a relationship and all of that kind of stuff, because they're good. He's just literally trying to save her life. (laughs) Just stop putting yourself in peril. The The one last quote I had was Grant telling John, you're the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. And John's like, yeah, story of my life. (laughs) <laughs> i like it when he's arguing with carmine and he's like they're they're rushing it off as this was the the shootout that john had was just somebody trying to steal baggage and we said that punk pulled a glock 7 on me you know what that is it's a porcelain gun made in germany it doesn't show up on your airport x-ray machines and it costs more than you make a month and carmine says you'd be surprised what i make a month and john says if it was more than a dollar than dollar 98 i'd be surprised <laughs> I'm ready to rank it. I am too. What do we so, have, y'all? I'm going to go with a 7.5, which is higher than what I rated Die Hard. You know what? I, Me and you both gave the, the original Die Hard a 7. I am going to tie you here, Julia, and go 7.5 as well. Because I, while I think the original one is better, this one had more Christmas in it. So since this is ranked Christmassy, I got the edge. I think... This one was a better movie and more Christmassy, so I'm going with an 8.5, which brings us Ooh. to an 8.3333. 7.8333. Or 7.833, sorry. 7. Point, that's going to put it way up there on our list. 7.83, which says a lot about the quality of movies we do. But 7. <laughs> point, um, what is the 7.8333? That ties it. At number 20 on our list with White Christmas. White oh, Christmas well, and Die Hard 2. What a movie night right <laughs> so there. Next time we do our movie pairings. Showing. Next time we do our movie pairings, like what you should watch with what? I think you should watch White Christmas followed by Die Hard 2. <laughs> <laughs> and just for reference here, where did the original Die Hard come in? 7.33? 29. I was only oh. like 0.1 below it. On 0.5 below it. That's crazy. Yeah. So what I... do you think, y'all? Do y'all like Die Hard 2 or one more? How does 3 fit in? What about the rest of the series? We would love to hear from you. Let us know on all of our social medias. You can check us out and find those at 
tisthepodcast.com slash Facebook for our Facebook page, Facebook group for our Facebook group page, Twitter for our Twitter, Patreon for our Patreon, or Instagram for our Instagram. We try to make it very simple. Uh, Patreon, bunch of content up there for like the next month, just about you'll get a Patreon episode every week because I've been cranking out the bonus episodes, lots of fun stuff. So now's the time to subscribe if you have not. And if you want more bonus, sorry, go for it. And speaking of subscribers, we have some new people to welcome and people that have updated their pledges to a higher level so they can get cool stuff like picking an episode. Um, Jacob Davis, oh, I'm going to butcher your last name, Jort. I'm hoping the H is silent and it's just Jort, um, has upped his pledge and he gets to pick a movie this year, which is super exciting. And then we have new patrons, Kim Cooper, welcome, Lindsay Madison, welcome, um, and Casey Carroll. So you guys, thank you so much for jumping into the Patreon pool and getting all of this amazing stuff that really primarily, let's be honest, Anthony is creating (laughs) with a lot of our friends in the podcasting space. So welcome and thank you. And I really just want to plug a recent Patreon episode that dropped. Um, it actually drops the day after we're recording this, but so it'll be like a week or two old by the time this actually drops, this episode drops. Um, me, Matt Spaulding, who is a professional Santa Claus and has two podcasts of his own, Kim Cooper and Claude Belanger ranked the six live action Santa Clauses, um, you know, the more iconic ones. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really fun episode. It's cool to see where we all land. I think Tom and Julia would be disappointed in how the three of them kind of view Ed Asner, but there is some (laughs) overlap near the top of the list. So definitely check it out if you have not yet. And if you want more free bonus content, check out our Thursday episodes in which our wonderful listeners and my wonderful supportive co-hosts who I would not trade for anyone else in the world, including Tom, uh, all read different chapters of another Christmas story, which is my Christmas novel that I have wrote and they've all done an amazing job. So check it out. A new chapter drops every Thursday. What do we have to look forward to next week, Thomas? (laughs) I'm so excited. And what episodes are we covering for people that want to get a nice little head start? And what's a fun trick they can do if they don't know where to find the Vicar of Dibley? You, if you want to catch the Vicar of Dibley and not pay for it, you can get a free (laughs) subscription to Brit Fox. You get a free seven-day subscription. And with that, you can watch all of the episodes of the Vicar of Dibley, which, Julia, I recommend you binge watch in a week. There are only three seasons, and then there are a couple of specials that came out including one of the christmas ones that we'll be covering and i'm still stalling to pull up the names of the art the episodes um but i ran out of i have the i have the names in the tracker well, just they are... wait i've got it okay Hold your horses son if only people looked at the effort i put into our can I, can I finish can i finish can i finish <laughs> tom Yes, you can, because I know how excited you are about this, and I love you, you man. You are a brother to me. Y'all don't know how excited I am about this. I have not. This is the thing I've been most excited about for quite some time. And my computer's going really slowly. I had it here, and then it moved. <laughs> I hate being a smart aleck and then getting it backfiring like this. It hurts. Leave all this in, Julia, because it's hilarious. <laughs> don't leave it all in, Julia, because you're a good person. 
We are covering the <laughs> Vicar of Dibley, which includes the Christmas lunch incident, winter, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas is one of those bonus after the uh, show finished episodes. That's pretty amazing. I'm excited. You've really talked this one up. So I'm hoping I'm one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I'm excited too. And the week yeah. after that, we're doing Remember the Night. From 1940 with Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray, which I'm super excited about. Wow. And then we have tons of guests coming up in the month after that, which will be exciting. So. Guest month. Yay. Guest month. We have our friend Todd joining us, April Riley, Kendall Fair, Matt Urich, Jerry Davila, Manny Torres. It's going to be fun. It's going to be like a family reunion up in here. Up in here. It really will. It's going to be a family reunion with a whole bunch of fun people who are exciting to talk to. And April, too. <laughs> April, I had a grand time with you in New York. I'm just kidding. Please don't kick, don't totally please, kidding. don't kick me in the shins again, please. Well, don't make me ask her to. I know that we have some pretty big dates right around the corner, not just our awesome um, episodes coming up in our fun month of guest hosts, but like Leon Day is like legit coming right on up. Do you know why that so, is? Why? Sorry, go ahead. There are only 4,848 4, hours left until Christmas. No, no there are only 5,016 hours until Christmas. That's only 209 days. 29 weeks we're out of the 30s y'all this is getting this is getting real we're yeah, almost at the halfway point may. yeah may we're almost at done. the halfway point and well, actually may will be over by now right yeah it will this will be the last day this is the last episode well, of may it drops memorial the last day. day of may happy memorial day oh happy memorial day memorial day <laughs> but y'all julie just mentioned leon day we have something fun planned for leon this day this year so it's so super secretive that Julie and I don't even know what it is yet. No we agree. Idea. We actually agree to this in Discord. <laughs> we are covering Elf's Elf I'm Buddy's trying, magical dude, journey. I'm trying to build up hype. Oh, yes. Throwing you and I'm throwing you some credit for putting it together. Tom and Julia have no idea no about clue. what we're covering. <laughs> no clue. Uh, we are talking anniversary episode, y'all. Yeah. Next year is a big anniversary. Next, Next year's five year is years. five years. Oh, it's old enough to be at a really obnoxious child. That's right. <laughs> It'll be going off to kindergarten next year. Oh boy. Well, thank you for joining us this week. You can do your homework for next week. Get that Vicar of Dibley watching in and we'll be back. Same bat time, same bat place. Hi y'all. I know that I've ever appreciated you more as a co-host than I did with that same bat time, same bat channel. Julia. Thank you. You win the award for the best co-host of the of the evening. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping. And I bought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight. 
How I hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm The fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbying But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow 